all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But I think that some people are just better at maybe not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. My guest this week is Benny Mawson. He is the owner of Freedom Float Center, which is a health and wellness center in Burley Heads that has a bunch of float tanks and also massage therapy, yoga, meditation courses, all kinds of cool shit that help you become a better version of yourself. Um, if you wanted to listen to this podcast to learn more about float therapy, uh, Unfortunately, we actually didn't even talk about it at all. I'm going to try and get Benny back on again at some point in the future so that we can talk about the benefits of flotation because I think a lot of people probably don't know what it is. But this conversation is a wide-ranging conversation about Benny's experiences working offshore, human connections, the lack of human connection resulting in suicide, uh, wolves, and human relationships. Hope you guys have had a good week. Hope you enjoy the conversation, and I'll talk to you again soon. Hi, Benny. Hello, Lorna. Thanks for coming to do my podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me. So before we started, we were talking about um, fighting and about why sometimes you choose to not do things that are probably that you maybe are capable of doing, but you're not doing. It's an interesting thing, man, because like I find this happens a lot to kids that are really talented when they're young and it's just like it's too easy and then all of a sudden when they have an opportunity to do something great it's like well it came too easy for them and they just want to go and party or get drunk or do something else yeah and i think um it's like this i've read this great book where they were talking about how when things come too easy to you you don't feel like you've invested any of yourself into it and so it's really easy to get rid of it like you don't really care so much. It's this typical syndrome like a, of a trust fund kid, a kid whose parents have got way too much money. They give them all that money, and then all of a sudden the kid just fucking blows it on coke and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> like you did. Yeah, like I did <laughs> back in Canada. <laughs> um, yeah, I think as well like forging your own identity or your own path as well can be a big one because mm. if you're pushed into something from a young age, um, I guess that defines who you are as a person and then – you get to a point where you're like, I actually don't want this yeah. or I want to actually achieve some things on my own, of my own accord rather than be told this is you or people around you who supposedly are your friends and family and care about you can then aren't really invested in your happiness rather than what they believe will make you happy. Right. So it's more like, oh, but you're so good at that. So that will make you happy and that makes everyone around you happy. So you should carry on doing that rather mm. than what do you really want to do Yeah. in life or, yeah. Because it's tough, like, for a lot of people that don't have a natural talent at something and they see somebody who does have a natural talent, they're like, fuck, you're wasting that talent. And I, I mean, just being that person inside that situation, any times that I've had that happen to me, it's like... Um, you don't see yourself as being a talented person. I've never have. Do you ever see yourself being like, oh, I'm good at this? No, and I think if it comes naturally to people, they don't. I think that can really cross over into coaching as well. I've found mm. where some people who are extremely gifted with the sport, they know on a field, say, football or something, they just know where to be, when to be there. They, they yeah. don't get taught that. 
so then teaching someone who doesn't have a clue, like, and they're just learning, they all get frustrated because they're like, well, you should just be there then. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But how can, same with art, like I'm sure you see it and Fuck that's yeah. just self-expression for you. So you see your blank canvas and then just go to work where other people are like, how the hell can you do that? Yeah, but, like where did that even come from? Yeah, and it comes from somewhere else. Yeah, and it feels mm-hmm. like that's the thing too. We've talked about this a little bit with people on the podcast before and it's like it feels like it's coming through you more than it is you and the absence of me in any experience is actually better. Like my even when I'm fighting, when I'm doing anything, the less I'm involved in it and the more I let automatic processes take over or listening to my trainer or like just being connected to the artwork that I'm making without having it to be something, like needing it to be something, it just flows out of you and it's gone. And the weirdest sensation is to take credit for something like that because even while you're making it, it's like, this isn't me making this. And it sounds like I'm trying to be like altruistic. Like, oh, I just, I don't do it for me. Cause you do a hundred percent do it for you. I feels good to do it. I yeah. like doing it. But at the same time, the more me I put into it, the shittier and cheesier it gets. Yeah. <laughs> Even well, with athletes, especially you see, you go to boxing gyms, Muay Thai gyms, which you're familiar with, and you'll get taught combinations and you'll get taught how to throw a punch and how to bring your hand back and all of these things. Some of the best athletes can get super creative, like a John Jones mm. or someone like that, and they're very unorthodox because they're letting letting it flow and they won't, like even Chuck Liddell from the UFC, he was so unorthodox the way he threw punches and everything, but very successful. And you yeah. see people who can do things their own way, so it is good to build strong foundations when you're young, but... As you evolve, you might just have your own little style or your own way that is mm. actually more effective for you. Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, definitely. We always kind of talk about that. Well, like when the beginners come, um, I I will get them to like stand in a, their stance and then push them and then they'll shuffle their feet around and I'll go around to the other side and push them on that side and then go back to the other side and push them again until they kind of shuffle their feet to a position that they're happy with mm-hmm. and in within the scope of what a Muay Thai stance should look like, obviously. But um, then at that point, you're like, okay, so this is your balanced point. This is where you feel good, so stay here. And it doesn't. it's okay if it's a little bit weirder than it's not exactly set inside that structure because you need to have a little bit of fluidity. I was thinking about this yesterday. I did a first aid course and wound up, they had a poster on the wall that said um, like what a stroke is and they said that these plaques build up inside the brain and it causes blood clotting or it causes restriction of blood flow and then that's what ha- uh, what a stroke is. And I was thinking like, fuck, is there any circumstance in life where being rigid and stuck is good? No. Never. Like nothing, even on a biological level, our brain knows that if you have anything that you're holding on to and squeezing it tight, it's going to fucking suffocate you and kill you. And how much energy your body's using, like emotional stress and trauma that's held within the body. So parts of your body lock up. And I think one word that's been big for me in the last several months has just been coming through to me a lot is surrender. And it's like in in any sort of situation, even in the float tank or whatever, um, where you're laying in there and you've got all these thoughts and you start to get agitated and, and expectations like you're saying yeah. before with training of how it should be and what it needs to be, if you just let it all go and let what be be, um, like things just unfold for you. So it's yeah. just like not fighting anymore but it's innate in us as humans to resist and fight and struggle. What are you fighting against like that you keep having <clears throat> to surrender? 
Well, I think for me, a lot of times I'd find in the float tank, I used to just fall asleep in there and then that was an expectation that I would want that to happen every time. Mm. And then I would lay in there after a while and once things got a bit more stressful around the business and thinking a lot, I would be quite fatigued and run down. So I'd hop in the float tank and I'm like, yes, time to have a little sleep. This is going to be great. have this expectation that I need that to happen. Hop in, lay down, itchy face, mind going, like, God, just calm down, settle down. And then you have this whole inner dialogue going on. Hop out at the end, absolutely frustrated and angry and annoyed. Hop out though, 20 minutes later, the body's in there. Whilst in there, the body has released a lot of tension and you feel, Mm. feel good. You feel a sense of calm and you think, why... Why was I fighting it? And yes. now, even when I work away in offshore and you're on night shift, I'll wake up in the middle of the day sometimes or you get to sleep, you feel super tired, wake up wide awake and you check the time and it's like 8am. So you've been out for like an hour and a half oh, fuck. and then you go, okay, I need to get back to sleep. But the more you struggle with that, the more awake and alert you get. So... What I do now, I have these little self-talks and I just lay there, <laughs> same in the float tank, and I lay there and I just be, oh, even if I'm not sleeping, this is so nourishing for the body, this is amazing, like I'm so comfortable here, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I love just resting here and just tell myself how great this situation is and what <laughs> yeah. I'm actually doing at that time, yeah. even though I'm not actually asleep, and then sure enough... You're asleep. Not off. And then I'm yeah, gone. that's awesome. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Just finding those like weird hacks to find your find your way back into something you need to be comfortable with. I've fucking. I've, have you listened to this recent podcast with Matt Walker um, on Joe Rogan? Not yet. Oh my god, it's mind blowing. It's crazy. It's like every time the guy speaks, it's just another thing that just blows your head away. He's a neuroscientist that specializes in spe- in sleep. Oh, my friend just told me all about it. Oh, my God. It's quite scary. It's scary. It's insane. I can't believe it. Like he was saying um, just then, I, is towards the end of it, he was saying that in the medical profession, they like we spend one third of our lives asleep. And in the medical profession, they spend two hours of all of their study on sleep. And sleep disorders. That's it. Two hours. And Joe goes, wait, this podcast was two hours. He's like, I know. <laughs> That's insane. Like the amount of information that we got, I got out of that. Like, And it's scary because we're uh, personal trainers at the gym. So I need to train people before they go to work in the morning and then after work at night. So... My boss has it even worse than me, my trainer. He he gets in there at 4 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 4.30s awake, and he will train until the 7.30 or 8 o'clock class, and then he's got to go home and wake up again and do it in the morning. So we're both on split shifts all the time. I get up at – I'm in the gym from 5 usually and do about five hours, four hours of work or whatever, and then go back again in the evening and I finish it about 8.30. And so that's just my life. And I, I've lately in the last four days, I've, I don't know what the hell's gotten into me, but I just come home and just sleep. And I'm, yeah. just, I'm just fucked. And then I know that my mental state isn't right either. I feel foggy brain. I feel nervous. I get these like weird, um, like feeling addicted, addicted to food, addicted to things, affection, attention, just weird shit starts creeping up. And I'm like, fuck, man, I've thought I've dealt with all this stuff. You know, like you feel real comfortable in your life. You're moving through your life really yeah. easy. And then all of a sudden weird, I don't know what it is, like what sets you off track. 
Do you ever get that where you feel like you're on track and things are going great and then all of a sudden something will happen, whether you're conscious or unconscious of it, and then all of a sudden you find yourself doing weird behaviors again? Weird behaviors or I feel a lot better than some guys do. It really hits some people hard. But mm. coming off night shift, last, last swing I came home and it's basically two nights without sleep because you work all night till say midnight, come back, you can't go to your room. So you just sit around and then you fly out the next day, fly to Broome, Broome to Perth, Perth home on the red eye. Jesus. And so it's like sometimes 30-something hours you haven't slept and you're just scattered like your brain oh. function isn't there. And yeah. it takes days of like you feel good but then you'll get to the afternoon and you just feel like you hit a big slump and you hit mm. a wall. But some people are doing this for years and years on end, you know, like taxi drivers, nurses, doctors whatever and it's like pilot, yeah pilots and well, that's what he was saying he was like the medical industry itself needs to have a really good look at itself because you're right like residents do 30 hour shifts on the regular that's normal yeah. and he was like the the instances of an error resulting in like severe m- malfunction of the body during a surgery are increased like a, i don't know 112 percent just if the doctor has slept less than six hours the night before. <laughs> so he was like, the main thing you should do if you're going into surgery is ask your surgeon how many, how many hours of sleep they've had in the last 24 hours. If it's less than six, don't have the surgery well, because you're almost well, guaranteed to get hurt. Something's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And then he was saying that the residents, that they, they are in there all night like trying to look after people and take care of people for a 30-hour shift. When they get in their car and drive away, they're something like, I don't know, a hundred times more likely to get into a car accident and be the patient that they have to look after on the on the way back because they, they don't know what they're doing. They're totally not they're not present in their body. And you get into that autopilot where you know mm. driving yourself. I think a lot of car accidents from long drives would happen closer to home because when you get within a certain radius mm. or distance, it's like I'm nearly there, I'm just going to push through. Like yeah. I've done trips where I've gotten out and done push-ups on the side of the road, jogged around the car and like <laughs> had however many Red Bulls all the way, like working in the Pilbara, which yeah. you're familiar with and you're driving for hours. But then the closer you get to home, you're just pushing through. Yeah. But then you go, whoa, when did I get here? I don't even remember going past those five turnoffs that I'm usually quite aware of gone yes. past. It's like, where was I? Ooh, what was so happening? Creepy. I know who's driving. Yeah. That's fucked, so man. It, then there's like sleepwalking and things like that as well, which is another crazy thing where people can get up or even people who are extremely drunk, you find your way home. So like I cannot <laughs> remember a thing or same with whether you put your brain through that much trauma from drinking that it shuts off one part of it. But even like sleepwalking, people have been known to like go out, walk around the streets and yeah, just function normally and not have any idea that they've done this well and some people would argue like especially in the spiritual community that that's just how we live our lives that like all of us are unconsciously just fucking motoring through shit i i've talked about this book constantly because it's my favorite book in the world i think i've told you about it. it's called you're now less dumb um david mcraney is the author of this book and and it's a book about cognitive biases and the ways that we trick ourselves into perceiving the, the world around us and he was like uh it's basically the entire premises of the, of the book is he goes, you think you do this, the truth is you do this. So as far as the neuroscience is concerned, you think, say, you think that you're mean to somebody you don't like, and the truth is you don't like people because you're mean to them. So we trick ourselves into like convincing ourselves that 
you've done something bad to me and that's why I'm kind of mean to you. Yeah. But in, in actuality, what's happened is that for some reason, we, you've triggered some kind of reaction in me where I've been less than kind to you. And then I rationalize it in my brain immediately. This is a totally unconscious process, completely rationalize it. So then I perceive you being a threat to me or a person that I don't like. And then I will keep reinforcing that behavior until we just develop this kind of relationship with each other that we just don't like each other. And nobody knows why. Nobody knows where it started. No, and, and your brain doesn't even know why. It's just you're unconsciously running. And it's so crazy. The only way to combat this is to be aware of it. And, and as it pops up, you can sometimes maybe be like, oh, wait, am I doing that stupid thing? Oh, I can see what's happening here. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking crazy. So like awareness of anything is the only way to kind of navigate around these holes. But you still have them. You will. And it's like meditating and having an awareness. So when you do start to get a little bit fired up about something or mm. you can go back to the breath. But this is going to be a lifelong thing. There will be triggers all the time. And mm. some of the spiritual gurus or some of the spiritual folk that I meet along the way or so-called, you know, like coaches or people who practice this stuff all the time or convey to everyone that they do practice this stuff all the time. You see with social media people getting triggered over the most minute things. Oh, fuck. I and, know. and you're going, Wow. And we all do, though, because we all have to check ourselves from time to time. And we go, well, why why is this bothering me? And yeah. you can, like, step back and take a look at it. But for our whole lives, there's going to be things that do upset us and that will come up. But being able to pull back a little bit sooner, then let it spiral into some Fuck, you know, know. aggression or anything else like that. Well, and being a, like becoming that victim, like you're so right. You, this stupid thing of being triggered by something and that it's the external external world's problem that you get triggered. I get it in one way because I have um, a couple really good friends that do um, uh, that organize groups of support for PTSD survivors or people that struggle with PTSD. And I get that, that, that a car backfiring could trigger a memory of getting shot in the leg and that's going to make you feel fucked up that totally makes sense to me but why how we've taken that like an actual psychological phenomena that happens to people who have experienced severe trauma and turned that into an everyday common word where somebody looks at you funny on the street and you go oh my god i'm triggered i need five minutes in my yeah. safe space it's like go fuck yourself yeah well, i just for have the real no patience people. yeah i have no patience yeah. for it because it's bullshit it's all that is, is a victim mentality. Attention seeking. Yes. And, and really at the core, like, so what is it? What are you missing? Why do you need to feel special? Mm. You know what I mean? Why do you need to feel like you've got this disease or you've got this thing that, and I have like, you know, you talk to people like, oh, I don't do that because that triggers me. That hurts me. Like, oh, no, I'm a, I don't, I don't like those <laughs> things. And it's like, fucking hell, you're not alive. I'm offended that that's, a, that's yeah. a good one these days. As <laughs> yeah. a comedian, I think it's Ross Noble does this incredible oh, yes, skit that. on it. And it's like, what does it achieve? But the way I've been trying to view things, I just want to like some people need a good slap around the ear to actually listen and go, <laughs> well, okay, if you can sit back and look at somebody's intention behind an action or words mm. and then say, okay, was their intention to deliberately ostracize me and make me feel bad? No. They were just doing that action because that's what they enjoy to do or because that made them feel good or... Or they were unconsciously doing just it. Just doing it, yep. It wasn't an act 
towards myself or anything. So if their intention isn't to deliberately harm anyone, then I don't understand how it can affect someone so adversely. And yeah, so you just, but you see these days how people twist things around and just make their own story up around it and say, they did that because of this and this and this, or they should be more aware and think about these people like this. It's like, it actually had nothing to do with you, but you've just made the whole thing. And it's made it about you. About you. Yeah, Yeah. it's like, well, I'm really aware that, you know, like, oh, so there's the concept of like white male privilege. Let's just say we'll start with that one because it's just, it's such a, a, it's a thing, it's pervasive, it exists. We get Mm -hmm. that, that there is definitely better opportunities for certain types of people in this world. That's for sure. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that every person who is a white male is deliberately abusing that privilege. And just by product of being born out of a vagina in a certain area, out of a certain colored vagina, makes you any different than anybody else. And and so this is this whole like cultural thing. Like, well, you just need to be aware of it so we can make change. It's like fair enough, I get that. But you, by you making me aware of your problem with it, doesn't solve the problem. You've just made me aware that you're a better person than everyone else. That's yep. all you've done. So you're not you're not actually educating me on like the the real implications of this thing or like how it actually genuinely feels to or people. Actively contributing to yeah a solution. Making a change. Yes, a solution. Exactly. Instead, it's just like. Um, point that, the finger. Yeah, point the finger. And what do they call it? Virtue signaling. So like I'm virtuous. The more I can point out everybody else's flaws, the more virtuous I am. Because we're all too busy like needing to be something, needing to show something, needing to achieve something. Yeah. Everyone's lost that. Goal-driven. Yeah, man. It's all about worried about ourselves. And, and you forget. What people define as success. Yeah, man. Because what is success? Like what's the fucking point? Yeah. If if at the end of the day we don't know why we exist, then how do you know if you're successful? What's at the existing? point of anything? <laughs> What's the point of it all at the end? So really, it I really think is. Human connection and uh, meaningful relationships is just so important mm. along the way and enjoying the journey. Um, Aubrey Marcus oh, does it. Yeah, he talks about one about goals, and he goes, "The achieving of a goal is just a moment in time. So once you achieve that goal." that moment has now passed and so then you need to set a new goal. So the achieving of a goal will make you happy for a moment but then there needs to be something else and something Mm. else. So he's like, so what are they trying to say? We're just never going to be happy because you need to keep setting a new goal. So he's more, what's your purpose? What's your your journey? And you need to enjoy that because if you don't enjoy that, you're just going to keep setting these goals, achieving them and then... You need something else. You need another one. So, yeah. Yeah, and this is, I think this is why I'm having trouble with the fight game in general, is that that's, I think when I very first started fighting, I, I lacked that discipline to pursue a goal and finish it. Because there's no ramifications for me to make a painting or not. Like, the thoughts inside my head, I think, oh, that would be cool to do. And then I wake up the next day and go, oh, I can't be fucked. And then nobody gets hurt, nothing happens, but no painting ever gets created. And, and I've never noticed the ramifications of that, except for this, like, deep, unsettled discomfort in my yeah. own life. Because I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I have things that I want to do, and then I don't follow through with them. So then I just kind of exist. I'm just drifting. And all of my sadness in my life and all of, like, the depressed periods or my alcohol-fueled times or my drug times have all been because I've been disconnected from that passion of that feeling of just like, I just want to make stuff. I want to create things. I want to connect to something. So then when I had the opportunity to start fighting, it was like, 
oh, this is the one thing I've been lacking in my life is the discipline to get something done. Set a goal, say in four weeks' time, I will step in the ring. It doesn't matter if I win or lose, but I'm going to follow through with this. I committed to doing something that's going to push me to my absolute limit, and I'm going to do it. And now that I've done that 11 times, on my about my seventh or eighth fight, I started going... I think I'm buying into the goal too much. You know, like, oh, I just need to get that. I want to get a title now, or I want to get to my 11th win, or I want, you know, like suddenly the goalposts weren't this like big personality changing, expanding, pursuing goals thing. It suddenly became this very small goal of get through this fight camp, get another win, get to the other side, get this title. So then all of a sudden, like, as the goals changed, as you say, it suddenly became really cheap because it was like, oh, I just, now my life is in six week blocks. I have to survive the fight camp. I have to survive the fight. And then I get to finally relax for one week. And then I go right back into it again. And in my one week that I'm relaxed, I'm fucking miserable. There's never, I've never enjoyed a post fight ever. Yeah. Did you get that when you were fighting, like the after the fight week, just that you'd eat a bunch of shit, feel terrible, depressed? Yeah, well, so exhausting. Like you mm. have this massive build-up, stress around it, and then afterwards it's like, well, that was all over. <laughs> like a couple yeah. of hours. The next day you wake up, it's kind of like, oh, what next? Yes, so yes, I, exactly. I think even looking at guys working away, which you've done yourself, it's like people in that same thing of wishing time away, kind of like the training, they go away to mm. save money, to buy the things they want. But they're out there just wishing, can't wait to be home, can't, just want these few weeks to pass by. Yeah. You're never going to love being out there, like completely love it. But sort of like training days, hard training days, you know, you push through and it's like, oh, be glad once this is all over and then I can just have the fight or whatever. Mm. <clears throat> but just by having some purpose in your life of whatever it is and actually enjoying what you're doing. So even at work, like my thing's fitness, so I try and get the boys into some boxing or anything up there just to get them involved and go back feeling healthier. And it's just encouraging people along that path, however they feel they need to express themselves. Yeah, like what's their thing that they connect to? Because connection, um, I've talked about this a bunch before, but this guy, Johan Hari, wrote um, a great book called Chasing the Scream about the core... Um, reasons for addiction in humans Um, and he says that it's a lack of connection and so that's really interesting it's like the idea that you're connected to something that makes you feel meaning in your life is the thing that draws you through shitty times but so what's weird to me is in a 12 hour shift like so in a 24 hour day 12 hours of that, that day you're just getting through it that's really sad to me. Like when I, every person, everybody, you talk to everyone and they're like, oh, I just can't wait for the weekend. Can't wait for the weekend. Mm-hmm. It's fucked. Nobody should be living like no, that. Like no. why do we accept that that's normal? Because that is your life. Eight hours that you're waiting for it to be done so you have four hours of your life later is craziness to me. What about all the other things we do like lining up, doing the dishes, t- you know, all these tedious tasks folding the laundry and doing this and just going, God, how much of my life do I waste doing <laughs> this stuff? And it's just like, get so annoyed. But sometimes if you just open up, but this whole um, technological world now where everyone is looking at their phone all the time, mm. I do little test challenges for myself. Sometimes I'll go down and sit in like, go and get a juicer and a say bowl and I'll sit in the cafe. It's like, don't touch it. <laughs> just leave the phone in the pocket. And no matter how hard it gets, and I'll just 
that urge is strong. It's like so strong. <laughs> and you look around and everyone's just on their phone. And yeah. If they're, they're not with someone else and you're oh. like, and you're looking. And then I start thinking, where do I look? People think I'm like a serial killer or something. People yes. think I'm crazy because I'm the only one that's like standing with my arms folded and then on my lap because they're <laughs> all awkward because I don't know what to do because I'm not looking at my phone. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on that we've gotten to this point? And even sitting in a bus stop, see different different times, see, say at the float centre or after a good training session, the endorphins are going. Mm. It's a lot. People come out of it, say a float session, they're super chilled out. And the barriers are down and there's a, this is a key for me. I think that there's a common, common ground. There's a commonality there where you can relate to that person because someone sitting next to you on the couch, that's a complete stranger. You, people go, oh, did you just have a float? And it's like, so that's a common interest right yes. there. And that's what can get the conversation rolling rather than sit down at a bus stop. There's a complete stranger next to you. Yeah. What do I say? I don't know. Should I say hi? Don't yeah. even know this person. Look at the way they're dressed. Uh, they look like they might be this. Our brains just go into auto, basically stereotype that person. Yeah. It doesn't mean we all act on that and say anything negative towards them, but our brains do it naturally. Yes. So then actually like having a common common interest from the get-go makes it so much easier for people to go, oh, how was your session? Or was yeah. that your first one? If people are just about to go into the float tanks and then – um, some have just come out and it's their first time and they're like, was that your first one? How was it? And yeah. it's like so cool to watch that unfold. But yeah, then right. standing in line at a bank or something like this, if I turn around and be like, Is this hey, your first time at the bank? How you going? <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, good. Um, <laughs> can doing? I help you? It's just like can be a bit weird for most people. Yeah. Not everyone, but. Do you catch this bus very often? Yeah. <laughs> Are you interested it's in the like, buses? what is going on right now? Where's the hidden camera? Who is this creep? Yeah, so man. There's some and people that are, that are open to it. The course, idea but. of the creep is mm. really crazy. Like, because I guess they say that as tribal creatures, we are only a maximum of like 100. We can only process 150 people in our immediate circle. So when you live in a place like this, it's got fucking however many millions of people in it. I, I sometimes get totally overwhelmed, like sitting at traffic, just like waiting at a traffic light or whatever. And I look around and realize that all of those people exist in my physical proximity and I'll never know them, never know anything yeah. about them. And it freaks me out. Like, I'll just look around and be like, you guys are all people near me, but I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. And it's like, so we always react to that with danger because it's like almost overwhelming the possibilities of what people are. Yeah. And it's this lonely feeling because it's like I don't feel connected to that person sitting next to me on the bus. No. And until something happens, like so one example, I was riding the bus the other day out to the train station and somebody had a seizure on the bus. Um, so this guy got on and he looked like a junkie probably. He didn't, you know, he just looked messy. And as you say, it was just like one of those people, you look at him and go, you look like danger and I'm not going to engage in this. And he sat behind me and we were just sitting there riding along on the bus and all of a sudden he was making some fucked up noises. And I turned around and realized, okay, he's having a clonic tonic seizure, full mm. proper seizure. Um, and so we... We got him out of the seat where he was really like whacking his head onto the um, back. The bus driver pulled over. We obviously say call nine one one. We didn't know what was going on with him. Pulled him down onto the floor and just let him seize and tried to kind of keep his head away from the wow, yep. anything he was going to hit. 
Um, eventually, about after about, it was pretty long. It was maybe even four or five minutes that he was seizing for. We uh, got him up, and it was just amazing. Like So from the start, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near this person. I physically touched him, picked him up, put him onto the ground, was holding him, was uh, not holding him, restraining him, just kind of like watching his head. And then after the seizure was over and he was all slumped over and exhausted, I picked him up with this other guy and sat him down next to me, calming him down, talking to him, telling him he's going to be okay, and just trying to get a little bit more information about like if this is a common thing or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've got epilepsy. This happens a lot when I'm tired. All right, cool, okay, no problem. And then by the end of it, like all of the strangers, there's four of us on the bus that all had to help this person. All of us were like friends and humans together. Yeah. You know, it, it, all those barriers are completely gone. There was no awkwardness, there was a no common bullshit, objective no nothing. to help this person. And mm. that's like innate in humans as well, I guess. And the threat was gone. Yeah, no threat. There was no threat because I saw him suddenly as a human being. And then all of my judgments about, oh, he's a junkie, he's fucked up, none of that even existed. I did not even give a shit. I probably wouldn't have given him mouth-to-mouth -mouth just because yeah. if, you know, that weird thing about giving a stranger mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, you don't know what could happen. But yeah. But at the end of the day, it was like I was willing to do whatever needed to happen, physical contact with a strange person, just because he, the situation called for it. Yeah. And what I think is really sad is that we rely on situations external to us to be able to relate to other people in a meaningful way. Like we wait for someone's birthday to tell them how much we appreciate them. You know, or you wait till Christmas, you wait till Mother's Day. You Like you need some external force to tell you to care about the people around you. That's yeah. fucked. We make ourselves so busy so mm. <clears throat> having those little milestones is something to remind us to check in with people in a way you know because <laughs> yeah. otherwise we get, we get so busy in our own mind of what things we need to worry about every day and mm. in this day and age how much information are we absorbing like I don't think our brains are have adjusted to what's actually been going on like you look at the you look at your screen on your phone with Facebook or anything and you go on for one thing to check one thing 45 minutes later, you're like, what the hell did I yeah. come on here for? Like, there's Why messages, videos, a dog in a tutu riding a unicycle, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it just ends up taking you down some crazy rabbit mm. warrens. <clears throat> but we're absorbing all this information, so we're constantly in this state of, like, fight, flight, yes. being alert. And that's why, like... I guess them being in that state all the time it's so bad like that's why anxiety stress depression it's all at, like at the float center you see everyone to fill out these forms and so many people and it's like anxiety anxiety stress wow. depression and it's like all ages but a lot of the older generation not as prevalent because that's something that wasn't so common back then it definitely was still there yeah. but these days it's like the whole Everything around this whole anxiety and depression and everything now, it's just like crazy. Like the suicides, four guys, I think three or four guys in the last couple of months in this industry that I'm working with away, scaffolders have committed suicide. And it's, Whoa. And it's, that's just them. But on in there's a project up in Darwin and the numbers are so high. I forget what the exact numbers are of suicides up there. Um but it's got to a point and they're not including the guys that are at home on break. They're just because they're not on the project. But there's been so many guys like hanging themselves in their rooms or oh overdose God. or whatever. And this is all just these external factors of like I think it's it's not it's not just the roast it's not just the rosters which some people are blaming. The rosters need to be amended so they got more time at home. 
but by being away it can cause issues with the relationships, there's mm. disconnection, um, living beyond your means, buying far too many things and then being having financial pressure weighing down on you, relationship breaks down, possibly divorce, losing half of the things you've worked for mm. plus contact with your children plus alcohol and drug abuse to <coughs> fill the void and then this is just this vicious cycle. Mm. And then all of a sudden... Like I've been in these spirals myself out there where you get into this negative train of thought and you just get stuck in it and you go work by yourself and five hours later you realise you've just been, this whole inner narrative dialogue is going in your head. You've made up all these stories about, you know, if it's a broken down relationship or something, what if this happened, what if that happened, did that happen? And you get back to lunch or something and you're exhausted and you're like, oh my God, like I just spent that whole time not engaging with anyone just running this story through my head yeah. and this is coming from say me who's practices in these things and I feel like I'm a pretty level-headed person and I'm not abusing drugs and alcohol yeah yeah and getting into that vortex and then I'd go home on break I'd feel quite good about life because it's there's a lot of other things but as soon as I'm back in that monotonous environment boom straight back into it and it'd be mm. like all day every day and I'd be like what is going on? You're reading self-development books, exercising, doing this, doing this. So I can't even imagine people knowing what's a logical thing to do and being, you know, make a logical decision. Once you get people who are emotionally unstable, next minute they've lost everything around them that they love. Mm. Next minute they go home and their only outlet is to drink and do drugs and then all their money's getting spent on that plus they're feeling the effects afterwards. Some of the dark places people must go to that Fuck me. in the end, the only logical decision for them is just to either end the suffering because it's like, I don't want to go on like this, I just need this all to end. Or they're maybe in a space of people will be better off without me. Mm. And I believe, I don't know because I'm not them, but I believe in my head that's what it gets to. And people say it's a weak way out or whatever they want to say. But in that person's mind, what's weak about confronting death? Like, that mm. is not a weak thing. That is, like, the most scary thing ever. And these people are choosing that. And it's mm. just like, I want all this to be over. So to actually get to a point where you're making that decision, it's like you have to feel compassion for how they've actually got, got to that, that point. Far. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, and that was um, that was me, man. While I was in the mines, that was exactly my mental state. It was a combination of both of those two things. It was, one, I was so far disconnected from everybody else and that – I had lost touch with anyone who actually knew me well. And the only people that did know me were just contributing to my cycle of shit because it was the only way I could relate to them. I didn't get them. They didn't get me. I was 27 or 28 hanging out with 21 year old backpackers in Darwin. I was like, no one gave a fuck about me. And in a way they did, like if I needed something like they'd be around, you know, they're good people, but we didn't have that relationship. There was no connection there. It was like, we just got drunk together and did drugs together. And I remember having that feeling. I um, was just sitting at the top of my balcony one night after a huge night on drugs and drinking and just fucked up. I don't even know what I'd taken all night because it was just one of those gross nights. I just had no idea what was happening and was sitting up on the balcony. And I just remember this feeling just going, I just want it all to stop. Just everything. I just want everything to stop. It, there was no even like, it wasn't even as complex as, as confronting death. It was more like, this is so exhausting to be inside me. Yep. I want, I don't want the sensation of being inside me anymore and nobody else is going to notice if I'm gone. And, and I am 
draining everybody else. Like when I'm around people, I'm a burden on them. And I still, like we were just talking about this before about the podcast and how I'm nervous to ask people to come do the podcast because I have this like really deep rooted sensation that I'm taking up somebody's time. Like I'm putting them out by being around them and asking people to do something for me like that I'm not, um, yeah, like that it, that it, it'd be annoying for them to have to do something with me or for well, me. you're really enriching everyone's life <laughs> by doing it. And it's, yeah, but it's, yeah, and when you finally do contribute, you're enriching. But it's so good. Like it's good that you're working through that stuff and still doing this because I'm sure you enjoy it and you're actually offering everyone that comes on and some, this is the first podcast I've ever done and I couldn't be happier as with you. <laughs> yeah. But you're getting to this point where people – you're getting people who are just as nervous because they're like, whoa, what are we going to talk about? Yeah, where do you What's even going to ask? Should I get prepared for this? Mm. Even though anyone could talk to you for frigging 48 <laughs> hours straight and without taking a breath or whatever because it's always amazing conversations that can mm. go anywhere. So you're gifting these people with a, an opportunity to grow and evolve and, and share their story and learn yeah. more about you. It's like such an amazing thing to do. Isn't it fucking incredible that we have this technology? Like remember like if even just 10 years ago you'd have to go, go to a radio station and p- pitch a pilot and be like, well, this is what I think we want to talk about. And then they'd be like, well, that's off the table. Definitely don't talk about your meth addiction. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but that's the best part of it. <laughs> but all of that shit, man, yeah. like that's what's so fucking cool about it is that we have this that like because the, the kind of conversation that you and me have had over the last few years that we've known each other is like they need everybody in the world should be able to just sit and do this with people all the time and i love the idea of the podcast that there's no pressure for anyone else to feel like they have to contribute yeah like you could sit here and sit listen to this it. and just be like wow that's an interesting idea or that's cool and sometimes it's frustrating because someone will come up with an idea and the person like the the two people that are talking i've done this listening to podcasts and i'm like wait ask this and then they don't and you're like oh, hey, yeah, but yeah. i want to know yeah because it's um i guess people like tim ferris joe rogan ronda patrick all these amazing people and the people that they get in, you're basically sitting in your car listening to them like you're in the room with them. Yes, it's, it's like so personal and just relaxed and you're just mm. like, this is sick. Like I'm just sitting here as if I'm like eavesdropping on these guys, just <laughs> dropping knowledge bombs. And you can just go back and fast forward and play again if you want because it's like, oh, what were they talking about then? Oh, that's right. I can just go back and listen to that mm. all over again. And share it with all your friends and then talk about it further and have more questions. Fuck yeah. And it's made it, it's made this, I think like Joe probably is responsible for this major drastic shift in the way that people like uh, conceptualize what a, what a human being supposed to be like and what human interaction is supposed to be like. Cause that's what he was saying. He's like, where is it ever in any time that you get to sit down in a room with someone for three hours and just talk shit to them and just like ex- explore their mind and get enough relaxed that no phones are on and you're just sitting here just talking to each other so this is what we used to do before we had tv at night you'd sit around in a room and just talk to people because talk to your family talk to yeah, anyone even in the primitive days like tribal way back when what like between hunts and everything because you're only hunting and taking what you need and eating you're not going to be like doing all these other activities it's like we need to just chill the hell out, get some shade over there, shoot the shit, have a little <laughs> siesta, wake up, go get some water, yeah. hang out. Like you look at the Indigenous population or Indigenous Australians and the knowledge that would get passed down, you know, even through music, song, dance, and then just the um, 
hierarchy and the order of the way things were done, like the way you behaved, the rules that were set in place and you had to follow those rules. And Because even wolves, wolves are incredible animals and they will... Like I've done, watched a few documentaries, read a couple of books about wolves and they're just so smart and that when one dies or whatever, they will mourn that death but they've got hierarchy and that is how it is and as soon as, say, a wolf dies or something like that, the only way they can function successfully is to have strength, that pack needs strength so they will just have to rearrange hierarchy straight away. Oh, wow. I read this book, Man That Lives With The Wolves, and he's a crazy dude, but he actually goes out into the freaking wild and lives with them, eats oh. raw meat until these wolves end up like taking him in as one of their own. Oh, Like he did it man. in captivity, then he did it in the wild, and it took like 18 months, and he was just living out there and wanted, just stunk, you know, like ate raw meat, wouldn't eat human food, and these wolves came to him, were looking at him from a distance, but then like... Still more months passed until they came up and they did the exact same thing that they did in captivity. The beta male would come over, sniff, look at him, and they bit him like right on the leg, on the inside of the knee, to see how he would react. And he, he had to just stay still because if he knew, knew if he moved suddenly, this wolf would just tear him apart. Yeah. So he was just submissive. And then the wolf would bite him, go away, and it would come back over several days and do the same thing. And then they finally accepted him, knew that he wasn't a threat. But then they actually incorporated him as part of their pack, but they knew that he couldn't help hunt. So they worked this out where they would run with him and get him to run, and then they would jump up at him and see how strong he was, see how they were just analysing this whole thing. So then when it came time for them to go and hunt, he went to follow and they turned around and growled and snarled at him and he had to just sit there so because he was just a weak link. <laughs> so they went, caught food, brought the food back. The alphas ate first and then everyone gets their turn and then they brought him over some like raw meat, which would be an absolute pleasure to eat. From a wolf's mouth. From a wolf that a wolf has given to you. And this shit actually, oh they accepted God. him and did that and he actually was part of it. So he's a little bit... I'm hoping that the studies he's done Fuck. like are so conflicting with some scientists. So it's just like this guy is nuts, and um, he ended up being put into the more of a female category. Like as the so the alpha female will give birth, but the beta female will be the one that's like the nanny mm. and take care of the cubs and teach them things because the mother recovers from the birthing and all of the rest of it. Yeah, um, and so she'll teach him how to like hunt and play, and then he ended up doing that for. The um, cubs or whatever. So he was like running around with them and these animals trusted him with their cubs, you know. Wow. Nuts. Do you know what's fucking awesome about that is that we think, humans think that we're so smart and we're like the top of the food chain only because we've developed all these tools and shit, and which actually came back from um, coordination. The only reason that we are any good at anything is because we communicate with each other and we synchronize our movements. But um, isn't that amazing? You take one human out of that and put him in a pack of wolves and he's immediately the bitch. Yeah. Like, because he is, we are so useless in the wild. Well, the males were actually, when it was coming into mating season, the males were getting him, this is like horrible, they were getting him down and basically nearly raping him. Like they were oh hold, my God. holding him down and just basically humping his leg. 
until they would like ejaculate on his leg and everything. (laughs) He said it was horrible. They would pin him down and hold him there and he couldn't do anything and he had to lay there. And the second season that he had to, second year around, he was so weak because he didn't, wasn't getting the right nutrition. Like, and he knew that that time was coming around again and he's like, I have to leave now. So he left, but up until that point that was why because these males would get quite rough coming into that season because they want to be the man yeah and they'd get quite boisterous and he said they would just pin him down one of the most incredible parts in that as well um there was the wolves have their territory and there was one day he was always thinking these are wild animals like i know enough about them through my own studies but there could be a day when they just kill me or like I'm still not one of them. Yeah. So he's completely aware of this fact, even though some other people think that we're above them or think that we are one of them or whatever. But there's just still a very strong line there that you need to be aware of. And one day they went on a hunt and one of the wolves stayed back and um, just pinned him, I think, pinned him to the tree and stood there and was snarling in his face and he's thinking, oh, this is it, I'm done. And then it stopped and stayed there. And every time he went to move, it was like growling and pushing him back against the tree. But this went on for like a really extended period of time. And he's like, what is going on? Like, is this wolf going to kill me or what's happening? He couldn't understand it. And no matter when he'd move, this wolf would go wild at him. And then eventually the rest of the pack came back and the other wolf just joined in. They just carried on like nothing had happened. He's like, what's going on? And he was quite good with tracking animals and stuff like that. And he looked down, went for a little walk, and he'd seen that there were these massive claw marks from a big male grizzly bear that had been in the area. So obviously they're really aggressive and they want to take that territory. And he's like, the wolf knew if I went anywhere, that bear was going to kill me. And oh, the, the my God. the wolf would not let him move. Every time he went to take a step away from that tree, the wolf just kept him there while the rest wow. of the pack was gone. Like crazy. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah, the wolf, and that's how smart humans are. He did not have a clue. So the wolf had to just babysit this stupid human. <laughs> <you know? laughs> <Yeah>. Stay there. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Because I'm sitting here as you're telling me the story. I'm like, what is he just a bully? Like, is this little cunt like it, just trying to climb the ranks? Yeah, but, but it was just out of nowhere. And that's what he said. It was so out of character. And he didn't understand. He's like, maybe this is the day this wolf's going to kill me for yeah. whatever reason. Like he was trying to work it out himself and he could not work out why. Wow. Until he went for that little walk and then he's like, yeah. Well, and that's interesting because that's like um, going into that same narrative that you were talking about in the minds. It's like you listen to a story. All, so really when you think about it, like our experience of our lives is our conscious self. That's it. Like whatever my brain is telling me is my experience of my entire reality. So if I've got stories in my head telling me what I should feel about something, that's going to impact my ability to perceive something naturally, like or as it is to the best of the way it could be. And I think like that's what happens to people that are really good at stuff is that they don't have stories. They believe so well in whatever it is, their training, whatever it is, like they're clear enough in their head that the story isn't there getting in their way. It's just, I have a job to do. I'm just going to do that thing. And like when you're out at the mines and you start believing that story about what you've said, then all of a sudden, like, like say some, you get a phone call and you've already been inside your head about, I'm not, I'm a piece of shit. Nobody likes me. No one cares about me. And you get a phone call. You're going to be hearing everything that they say is still coming through that filter of, I'm not good enough. So even if they're like, hey, man, I just really wanted to talk to you. I missed you. I haven't talked to you for ages. And you're like, oh, yeah, what do you want? 
You know, like yeah. that's that weird. And so you, you have conversations with people and you can tell that they've already got their back up and they're already kind of looking at you like, what do you want? What are you doing? What, what do you need? And really it's not anything you're trying to do. It's nothing you've done. It's just whatever their filter is on the inside of their head that's impacting their ability to perceive you in a natural, normal way. Yeah. And it, it's so frustrating because you, sometimes you're talking to people and you're like, I, I can't even get through to you. Like, no matter what I'm saying, and you, I even say the words to you, and you're hearing whatever you want to hear. Yeah, they've already got it. If you just kind of do your thing, to operate through the integrity, and just try and be a good person and accepting, because not everyone's so accepting as what, say, people like us are, where mm. you, you still have those little things pop up in your head when you look at someone and go, oh, maybe they look a bit shady or they're like this. Yeah. But I think people like us would still have the conversation and talk to them because working away is definitely one where there's people that I've worked with that are, if I seen them the way they were dressed, the way they might carry themselves in the at the Burley pub or something, like I'm not going to go near them, whatever. Yeah. And then when you work with them for 12 hours a day and you get to see the human side of them, you get to hear about when they've just had a fight with their missus or they haven't talked to their kid or, or their they had to get their dog put down on break or whatever, you know, and you hear that side of them and they actually open up to you to talk to you about these mm -hmm. things. You just see a complete different side of it. You're seeing through all the, all the gold chains and the tap-out shirts. You're seeing, like, <laughs> yeah. you're seeing a human being there and you're yeah. like, oh, and you can talk to them and if they're, if they're willing to open up like that. So I think just having those conversations, if you can, if you can put yourself out there to show people that they can trust you without actually saying, you can trust me. Because someone yeah. says that, the first thing I think is probably not going to trust someone whose first thing they say to you is you can trust me. <laughs> yeah. But if you can do enough actions, lead by example, put yourself out there, maybe mm. tell people a story about, God, I screwed up yesterday, this happened, this happened. Yes. And then everyone has a laugh at you and they go, wow, they were willing to actually allow everyone to laugh at their misfortune mm. or be lighthearted about it. People like even myself speaking about meditation and stuff out at work, I talked about that on one job and we were all having a beer when we flew off and then I wasn't having a beer because I was preparing for this 10-day meditation I was going to do. So then my mate knew about it and he goes, why aren't you having a beer? And everyone's like, yeah, why aren't you having a beer? And everyone's like, like oh, here we go yeah and they're like come on come on there was a whole table full of people i said i'm going to do this meditation course and they're like what is it why can't you drink now it's like oh they want you to not drink or you know do drugs drink abstain from sex and all of these things until you do it for two weeks before you do it and then go do that for 10 days and even like eating meat and things like that so Everyone straight on, you know, yeah, come yeah. off an oil rig for God's sake. So it's like, <laughs> oh what God. the hell? What are you doing that for? That's your break. And it, it's a silent meditation. You can't talk for 10 days. Wow. You can't eat meat. You can't take books. You can't take a phone. You can't do anything. So in their minds, there's women in one side of the meditation or men in the other. So the first thing is like, there are chicks there? It's like, <laughs> there's women there. They'll be on the other side. Um, they're like, oh, so what do you do? You can't talk? And they're like, oh, you're going to do real well with that. But I honestly found the talking wasn't the, the thing. It was every other habit that you've got, like your coffee, if I have a morning coffee, or exercise. You weren't allowed to exercise and do all that. So I just, When did you do this? This was a couple of years ago. Fuck. So you can do them. It's all volunt voluntary. So you I've can heard donate. about it. It's Vipassana, right? Yeah. yeah. It's intense. But 
had my days, but yeah, talking to the guys and actually speaking about it openly in front of a group of men, none of them are going to sit there and go, wow, I'd be really interested in that. But mm. when I got back to work after the whole break, they were all interested and then they were all hitting me up one-on-one. How was it? Was it weird? And some of them granted were like, I could never do that. I wouldn't, wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. But that's crazy. And they all wanted to know, but it's more with men. It's like not showing vulnerability in a group situation because yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. like a sign of weakness. But if you encourage that it's okay, they still won't show vulnerability in a group, but they'll trust me enough generally where they'll go, oh, maybe Benny can talk to me because I'll be relatable because they know that I'm not going to go, a meditation course, you idiot. They know that I've been there, I've walked that path and they'll go, well, maybe Benny's got some tips on it or maybe I could talk to him about it or whatever. So then these are like the tiny little things. You can't change the world, but if you can like put yourself out there to show people the door that they can actually come to you and lean on you if they need to ask Mm. some questions, that's where you get it rolling. Yeah, Rather I mean, than jamming your opinions and views down people's throat and saying, why are you eating meat or why are you doing this or why do you drink and smoke and then make them feel inadequate about their life's choices and make yeah. them feel horrible. It's like, that's cool if you do that. If you come out here, you feel a bit healthier, go home, just try your best, cut down a little bit. What are, you, what are the things you need to put in place? And then mm. they'd be more likely to do it organically rather than having someone tell them that they're a failure or they're wrong. Yeah, man. Yeah, I find, um, do you find like that your personal relationships have improved too? Like the closer that you are honest with yourself and able to talk about anything, um, that your interpersonal relationships have improved? Well, there's a quote where they say... Um, if you don't lie, you don't have anything to remember. So yeah. if you've always – if you're lying, you always have to remember the stories and the alibis and all these things. But if you're just honest, you're just going to speak truth from yeah. – so you don't have to worry about it. So it is refreshing in that way yeah, for sure. But it does get hard at times. Like there's always the situations where people talk about lying but then – cruel to be kind or not cruel to be kind but white lies that people if it's not going to affect them as a person then do you say it or do you not if it's not going to benefit them in any way and you start doing the sums in your head of like do I tell them do I not say you've got friends and they're broken up from a partner and then they're no longer with them but then you find out later that their partner cheated on them with someone and then you you realize that me telling them this isn't going to serve them in any way. It's going to hurt them still. But do I tell them that because it's actually going to hurt them, but they're not going to be back with that person anyway. But then if they know that you knew, it put you in that horrible position. Yeah, especially having a reputation for being an honest person. And then then they're like, fuck, I could trust you. I've always thought I could trust you. And then you didn't tell me that thing like... Yeah, yeah, then what else have you not told, told me? Or, yeah. yeah. I know yeah. that's a tough thing. Yeah. I but I, I am strongly of the belief that you just say what you know. Like I, I think it's a bit of a – luckily with most of the people that know me now that like whatever – pretty much whatever I feel like I'm going to say and for the most part – with the avoidance of trying I'm trying not to be unkind to people but yeah sometimes things have to be said like I I, thought this was gnarly I got myself into a really fucked up situation where because I was really good friends with a couple of these boys and this is what I was up in Darwin and um he trusted me I trusted him he was a good mate of mine he was seeing a girl and I 
had met her a couple times and they were really hot and heavy for the very start and then it looked like they kind of broke up for a while and I'd ask him how he was going and he was like oh just it's not working out I can't be with her like it's too push and pull I'm not into it so we're on a break and I was like oh okay cool man and I didn't really want to do his head in about it so I just let it go and then um he started seeing one of my friends and so they would just hook up every couple nights and it wasn't anything serious. They were just, it was one of those things they just hook up. And then my friend started telling me, she's like, oh, I really like him. I think I really like this guy. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't know if he sees it the same way that you do. Cause I haven't got the impression off of him that he's into you in the long term kind of way, but that's cool. Um, and I'm not trying to, and then you get in this gross thing where you're like, my two friends are both telling me different things yeah. and I'm not trying to, translate to them so I'd just be like I don't know you talk to him about it you know make sure that you guys are on the same page and then um and it seemed like it was kind of going okay then one night we went out to the pub and his ex was there and so I'm sitting down with all of them and she again I've just got this personality where people tell me stuff she comes down sit next to me and she's like man it's just so good to see you guys again I haven't seen Dave and um since like since two weeks ago and I was like oh so you guys have been seeing each other again she's like oh yeah we're back together and that just that fucking stone drops in my belly because I'm like, what? Uh. He stayed the night at my house last night with my friend. So you're seeing him, and she's like, yeah, we're getting back together. And she's like, I don't know. I just think I love him. Like, I know he's broken. I know he's damaged, but I love him. And I'm thinking that we're going to try and maybe move in together. And she's telling me this, and I'm looking at her across the pub, and we've all been drinking. We've all been taking drugs. I'm staring at her going like, she, he was at my house with someone else yesterday. And you don't know that, obviously. I was like, okay, well, how would you feel if you knew that he had, was maybe seeing other people too? <laughs> and then she, and then I, I, I what else and are you going to do? And she had that feeling. And that then you she had. fucking freaked out. And she's like, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? And then I was like, oh my God. I, I'm like, I, I, maybe you just need to talk to him. I think you just need to talk to him. You just, you guys need to work this out. And then he's there and then the girl he's also seeing is there and then the whole thing just fucking explodes <laughs> and then she knows that that girl knows and then neither one of them knew about each other and it was fucked and it was all my fault because I had been open enough to know too much about everything and it was like one of those moments where I was like I know too much about people's lives I don't need to be this involved in other people's lives I think I'm doing people a favor by being someone that they can talk to and then all of a sudden I'm getting surrounded by too, so much information that I can't even, yeah. and everyone's a liar. You know but what I mean? The bottom, line, the bottom line is that he, he's the one without the integrity because he, he knew he was getting away with that and he did that. So for him to even be upset with you for blowing that is... Not, so mad at me. Like never yeah. talk to me again. And that, but that's a thing, good riddance because Fuck that, yeah. that guy's a douchebag because <laughs> if he can't take accountability for that, like he told you that, but then he was willing to do that to both of them. And yeah. then when it all came crashing down, he wanted someone else to blame. Instead of looking at, how did I contribute to this? Oh, that's right. <laughs> Lorna actually did fucking nothing yeah. except sat there in a horrible situation and just was honest. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but it's her fault. <laughs> and my uh, my boyfriend at the time was really mad at me because he was his mate, you know, and he's like, how you, you, yeah, you sold out one of the boys. Like, how could you do that? Now you've put me in an awkward position with my friend. And I was like, your friend's a fucking dick. What if it was the other way? Yeah, And exactly. he would have said, you should have told him that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it's it's funny how creepy. we all do that and you hear the boys say it and then you hear the girls say it too. Like, I'll go, I've been at cafes and you hear girls talking and it's just always, you know, like, 
oh, he's done this and this and this, or he won't do this and this and this. And then you hear the boys talking. There's always uh, the same groups of boys, groups of girls. There's always the same sort of dialogue going on. And yeah. we're so funny. We're so different creatures. Like, can't even work each other out yet. But no, still, I, you'll always come back to your side, like, from where I'm coming from. But surely, can you understand where I'm coming from? And yeah. people seek that external gratification or, you know, justification. But you know why I'd be like that, wouldn't you? Like, it's not fair what they're doing to me. And it's just like... yeah, you always want that feel good. It's just like taking a drug. It's like there's, or well, maybe more exercise oil. So let's say you want to lose 10 kilos. The thing to do is adjust your diet and train and you will lose 10 kilos. It's a guaranteed fact. It's like very simple. Drink a little bit more water, cut out the shit in your diet and exercise. Yeah. But everyone wants to take a pill that's going to get their weight loss off, right? So like, oh, no, I'm just taking a pill and I'm reducing my portion size. Like, all right, well, whatever, good luck. But um, in the relationship context, it's like I don't want to sit down and have that hard conversation because the only way to repair your relationship is to sit in a room with them like this, look at them and go, I feel this way. And I'm willing to sit here for fucking 12 hours if we have to, to understand your side. You understand my side. Let's come to an agreement that we both are in a relationship because we love each other and it's valuable to us. At the end of the day, if we have this conversation and we don't come to that agreement, we can go our separate ways. That's what needs to happen in every relationship. But instead, we go, I'm pissed at you, so I'm going to my girlfriend's house. And then you just go over there and be pissed at them. And you want this dopamine, you want this instant gratification of like, you're so right, girl. Like you should, mm, <laughs> it was yeah. whatever. And all of the boys, it's the exact same thing. And even me, I'll go to my guy friends and be like, is this fucked up? And they're like, yeah, yeah, man, he's a fucking loser. And then you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. he's fucked up. And then I come home and then instead of like talking it out with them, I just dig my heels in because I'm righteous, you know? And then it's just this fucked up thing. And, and you're looking at each other like, why are we in a relationship with each other? <laughs> at the end of the day, why do you ever, why do you have a girlfriend? Like, do you have an answer for that? Why are you with your girlfriend? Well, I don't know. I guess you meet each other, get along, have the connection at the start, and then just a companion, someone that you enjoy spending time with, yes. someone you enjoy life with. Um, and having that, I guess, being on that same buzz, same vibration sort of, mm. there can be differences and you need to be individuals as well, but just being there to support each other and everything. But I was anti that whole idea for a while. It's always due to hurt. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, Oof, no yeah, girlfriends, yeah, yeah. no anything. Just, just want to deal with me. But then you look around, you see everyone else as well. But I guess that's that whole surrender thing. If you meet someone and it feels good, then you're just deliberately going to shut something off mm. for that fact alone that I got hurt before. So I'm just going to shut everyone out. Yep, too hard. But it's what can happen, and you can understand why people do that. Rather than open up to it and you don't know what amazing things can be there awaiting you. But it's like you can see why people do that, go through these same patterns of being hurt or by someone. And I think it happens a lot more times to women like that men have done these things, like been unfaithful or whatever. And then for women to come back and try and get into that whole scene again, dating scene or whatever, and then go through the whole thing again. Because that whole dating scene these days, it's like, Tinder, people like going out, getting on drugs, alcohol, whatever. And then it's just like people sleeping with each other, all these little shallow relationships. Generally, it's not authentic usually because the the self that we want to promote to these people that could be a future partner is going to be the best version. It's like on Instagram, Facebook, like majority (laughs) of people just want to put out their best version of themselves. 
then you get into a relationship and all the real shit starts coming mm-hmm. up and it's like people aren't doing these things that they used to do. She doesn't laugh at my jokes anymore. Yeah. He's starting to like leave the toilet seat up all the time. He won't <laughs> open the door for me anymore. Da-da-da-da-da, mm. same stuff. And it's just like all these things that were just like on point at the start yeah. start to slip and it's like actually being honest and open at the start is just so healthy because then there's no surprises. Yeah, man. Well, and, and what like... What it always has to come back down to is that exactly the reason why you started that relationship in the first place. And like when you answered that question, you you use the word enjoy, I think, about four times. And it was about enjoying the other person being around you, enjoying each other's company. You, you want to be around them. That's why you're with them. So what happens when they, you know, that he starts leaving the toilet seat up too much or he doesn't call you as much as he used to, doesn't text you the way he used to, whatever, you get these, like, weird built-up resentments. And you're like, well, you don't love me anymore. You don't love me anymore. And so then you start being a bit colder and then you, he starts being a bit colder and then he's like, well, she's just a fucking bitch all the time. Like, she, I, nothing I do is ever right. And then, you know, and then there's that thing, like you were saying, that women get hurt by men cheating. But a lot of times the trouble with the cheating thing, it's the same thing that happens when someone yells at someone else, is that you're immediately wrong when you've raised your voice to someone you're you're wrong no matter what they've just done before you're wrong because you acted out of anger if you cheat on somebody else it doesn't matter if they were outrageous cut all the way all the way up to that moment you still cheated yeah so then they're gonna forever be a victim so that girl let's say it's a, a guy cheated on a girl that girl's never ever going to think about what did i do all this time and it's not her fault that he cheated he was a dick like he he should have been honest he should have spoke to her beforehand whatever i'm not saying that cheating is not the man's fault or this in this particular case that that guy's fault but we because the cheating thing seems is such a terrible blow to somebody else that suddenly they're so victimized by that thing that all the time they just go i just I don't need a man because they'll cheat on me you know it's like well there is possibly behaviors that you're doing it's causing that person to feel unsatisfied, uncomfortable, disconnected, whatever, and they they are looking for that connection somewhere else. Yeah. Also, biologically, maybe a man wants to put his dick inside something else yeah. sometimes. And if he can't talk about it and you can't figure out how to get through that and you, you guys can't come to some agreement that works for both of you, something bad's going to happen between the both of you. And that's the trouble with like when you act out of anger or when you cheat, when you finally do that, is that it doesn't give either one of you an opportunity to grow and learn. And, and what should happen is when those feelings start coming up and you think it's going to happen, is sit down and have that fucked up conversation. It's scary. But at the end of the day, it's just as scary as like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym today. And then you get in there and you start working and you're like, oh, this is fine. I'm glad I did this. It's that way with every single conversation too, and, I think. And just communicating it from the start, I suppose, like as you go along the way because if you're not – that's where so many relationships break down but even I've heard the other side of things where guys partners when they're working away that's happened to some guys that I know and then they'll say you know their partners might say because you're away and I don't feel that you love me and da 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 da. Mm. but all these conversations haven't been had where this comes up beforehand so people take that action and then fall back on that as their justification for doing it rather than go well if you were a strong enough person with integrity you would actually just tell the person that i don't feel like yeah this is happening i don't feel well, like this is working at the moment like that, that you doesn't don't happen if you start to not enjoy yeah. each other's company like the whole reason why you got together in the first place was because you enjoyed each other's company if you're starting to not enjoy each other's company 
it could be you spending too much time around each other and you just need a little break. That always happens. That always helps. You know, like with anybody, you could love somebody. It's like loving a song. You fucking love that song to death. And then eventually at one point you just start playing it again and go, God damn it, I've heard this song too much. <laughs> you know, you just have. I've, I've seen you chew your food too many times that way and it drives me fucking nuts. <laughs> it's like, it's nothing they're doing wrong. You just hate them for a second. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not a reason to break up with them. And it's not a reason to sit down and have a talk about, we need to talk because yeah. I don't like the way you swallow. But <laughs> you, you do need to have enough awareness that like, okay, for some reason I'm not enjoying being around you. And I always have enjoyed being around you, but there's something that's going on that stopped me from enjoying being around you. So let's work it out. Let's talk about it. What do we need to do? Are you feeling the same way? And it's a scary thing because like some people tend to react and go like, what, you don't love me anymore? You don't like being around me? This is fucked. And that's my thing. It's like I can't, I've come to a a decision in my life that I cannot be in any kind of relationship, friend or otherwise, with someone I can't talk to. I realize that that's so important to me. It is so important that I am as honest with myself as I can be about everything that the people around me must also be. And if I see that you can't be honest with me, you can't be open to me, you can't sit down and have the time to talk to me, I just don't have patience for it. I don't have the time for it. And you kind of, those are your boundaries. So like for some, say we go back to that example of the businessman and the the wife, the trophy wife, her values are that she's got a credit card with plenty of money on it and she can do whatever she wants and he doesn't get in the way of that and he keeps providing. As soon as that agreement fails and he loses his job, the relationship will dissolve. Yep. Fair enough, too. That's what the agreement was based yeah. on. So good. That's <laughs> it's what over. it is. Yeah, that's what it is. So my agreement, and I think like w- going into a relationship with someone, you can really stop a lot of that um, pain. You still are going to have pain and heartache and confusion and everyone's going to fuck up periodically. But I think you can stop a lot of that is by walking into the relationship, knowing what your barriers are, like where that line is. And it's going to change because the, the amount of like being around someone that you really care about, you're going to merge those boundaries with them a lot, but being pretty firm on what your basic boundary foundation is. It's like at a bare minimum, I must have this in order for this to be valuable to me. Non-negotiables. Yeah, you're non-negotiables. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. But if you don't know them yourself, how do you know what you want? Yeah. Even doing um, values exercises is so good. Like I only did my first one probably like a year or so ago. What's that? Just sitting down like I've got, I can email you one actually. You just do your values, work through stuff and then you just see what your own values are. And I did one for the business as well. Oh, cool. And you just break it down and see and then you sort of try and let that flow through areas of your life. So even like just dealing with other people or every little interaction you have or if you've got a business, it's like do all these values flow through this because if they don't you're not really being true to yourself and what you really are all about so yeah yeah it's quite cool and put a little values at the front um front desk and that but just getting everyone to do that and then just working out your strengths as well as another good one because then you know what comes more naturally to you or what your strengths are so yeah. it's a lot easier to work on that but yeah, doing a values thing, even as in a relationship, like Fuck as yeah. a couple, it sounds fun, nerdy and funny, but <laughs> to sit down and do like values together and you realise, because you'll look at that, I might not have a clue, you know, like your values might be different in certain areas or what's really, really important to you might not even pop up on the radar for me. Right. And then I don't know, but then if something's upsetting, you know, like if something is upsetting your partner, you'll be like, 
What the hell is wrong with them? It's like the girls always like says is trying to get me to read the five love languages. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's a similar thing. But if you know what each other like what you value and what means a lot to you, what's important to you. When something upsets them, you're going to go, hold on, I'll come back and have a look at this. Yeah. Ah, that's why. When yeah, for yeah. me, you know, I might love to be punctual and other people, you know, might go, don't really mind if I'm just running a few minutes late. It's not a big deal. But for me, I might be like, God damn it, this is killing me, you know, it brings <laughs> yeah. me heaps of anxiety. But then other people think, why do you care so much? It doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, and then there's resentment because they're like, fucking chill out, man. Like, what the fuck's your problem? Like, because yeah. it's not cool or whatever. Like, you've got your things. And then, yeah, oh, absolutely. And that the love languages thing, I agree with you. It's a bit, you know, there's, it's hard to get into that shit. But yeah. I totally get it that, like, somebody could be showing you love constantly and you don't see it because you don't even know you don't recognize that as love like you're speaking two different languages you they're they're coming at you with gifts every day say like this uh, one of my exes used to do this he'd just come home out of the blue out of nowhere and like buy me a new pair of shoes like a pair of running shoes i'd come home and they're just there and he's like hi i got these for you today and i'd be like i don't need them like, and then he'd be like, how ungrateful. Yeah, you're yeah. so ungrateful. And, and what then, about all those shoes I brought you? <laughs> yeah. And then he'd be out till 3 a.m. drinking, partying, not answer his phone, didn't give a fuck about what I was thinking. And I, and I wasn't trying to be controlling, but I'd be sitting in bed just going like every car that I'd hear on the road, I'd be like, is that him? Oh, no. Is that? Oh, no. Just all night and it was just like I couldn't sleep and I'm anxious and nervous. And then, and then he, but yeah, and then he's like, but I got you those shoes. <laughs> and I'm like, What? I couldn't give a fuck. Take them back. It's like I don't a want. Them. That's not what I want. Yeah, it's ne- it's never been what I wanted. But his exes maybe did want that, and he and he they had an agreement. Like as long as I get shoes in the morning, I don't care what you do tonight. And for me, I don't care if you stayed out all night. I could not give a fuck. You do whatever you want, but just answer the phone sometimes. Yeah, you know, know, just call me and tell me where you are. Just tell me every once in a while. Like spend an hour talking to me about how I feel about stuff. Or think about something or make some jokes with me, you know, make up a stupid song with me so that I feel like we're connected. That's all I care about. I wouldn't want anything else. It's funny though, isn't it? Because then yeah. he, he's think, he's sitting there going, "You ungrateful bitch." Yeah, in his head. <laughs> and and uh, he's right in a way because it's Justifying like find that to everyone around him. Going, Shit, I brought her these shoes and did all this. Yeah, and she's pissed off at me for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crazy. No, it's funny. Well, shit, man, we've been talking for two hours. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. Thank you so much for coming. So um, I will say, obviously, in the introduction what you do, but if um, anyone wants to come find you, where do they get you? Freedom Float and Wellness Centre. Shop 505 West Burley Road. It is an amazing little spot. So we've got flotation tanks, infrared sauna, massage, Reiki, kinesiology, naturopath, hypnotherapy, counseling other workshops as well so it's really good little hub healing hub so you can come in do some meditation or just come say hi really come check the space out it's just a nice place to um either buy a voucher for someone you care about or come in and share the experience is much better i reckon then Mm. you can talk about your your float session afterwards yeah man it's awesome and it's at freedom float on instagram and freedom float center on facebook and um, they, uh, you guys are also one of my sponsors, so I, I always post all of my stupid shit. Has always got you guys on there. So if you guys want to have a look for it, I'll put all the links on my page. It's on my website as well. 
Thank you, Benny. Thanks, Lil and I. You're the best. You are.